We are in the midst uh, of a six-week pilot series. I know a lot of you have been out, and some of you are just here for the summer. We're in the middle of a six-week pilot series on the book of Proverbs. What we are doing is we're testing different passages in the Proverbs before we go through the whole book in the fall. And the emphasis has been on preaching Christ in Proverbs, which simply means we understand uh, the fullness of the book of Proverbs as Christians in light of the gospel and coming of Jesus Christ. We simply apply the book as Christians. We started off with the first week by going through chapter 2 on the transcendence of wisdom. Then we jumped to chapter 31 on the embodiment of wisdom. Then we looked at chapter 3 on the incentives of wisdom. And last week, we were in chapter 12 on wisdom in our speech. And this week, we're going to look at wisdom and making future plans. Anybody out here making plans? Yeah, that's what I thought. Lots of people. So let's look at the variety of passages on the back of your bulletin. This is the way we've got to do things for a while. The variety of passages that are on the back of your bulletin. Most of the Proverbs in chapters 10 through 31 are in random order. Some are in connected units, as we talked about last week. But most of the verses in 10 through 31 are in random order with no connection to the surrounding verses. You may wonder, why is that? Why aren't these isolated Proverbs more in units? Why can't they be more organized? And a commentator, a very, a very famous one, uh, Tremper Longman, he thinks that the randomness of these Proverbs may be intentional. He t- he, and he argues that they're intentionally random because Proverbs, uh, unlike you've probably been taught in church, Proverbs is not a how-to-fix-it book. It's not, it's, it's not like, okay, follow these steps, how-to-fix-it. Proverbs, it's, it's, what, the reason why it's in this random order is it reflects the messiness of life. It's just life is messy. And it's important to understand that life is messy with regard to your future plans. Because if you think that Proverbs is 10 steps to a successful life, then you're reading the wrong book. That's not, I mean, you may have grown up hearing that, 10 steps, and here it is in Proverbs. No, it's not what it's about. It's not about that. It's talking about charting a course for your future with wisdom. It's, it's about wisdom, not about steps. It's about wisdom and how you can understand your future under the control of our sovereign God. So let me read these verses to you. Let's go and look on the back of your bulletin, and I'm going to just read them all. So let's start with chapter 16 and verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the Lord is from the tongue. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? As we're talking about the future, uh, it's, it's graduation time all over our country right now. Is anybody in here graduating? Let me see some hands. Yep, some of you are graduating. Good for you. 
you were graduating from high school, college, graduate school, and, uh, and unfortunately, part of graduation is you get to dress up in a costume, and then when you dress up in your costume, your silly hat, <laughs> then you have to go and listen to uh, platitudes uh, from your graduation speaker, commencement speaker. And there's, there's this guy who, who saw this process happening over and over again, so he ended up writing this book. And, and, and it's, it's kind of mocking the platitudes you hear at commencement. And his book is titled, Ten and a Half Things No Commencement Speaker Has Ever Said. And so I'm just going to share with you some of those things. One of the things that no commencement speaker has ever said is, um, some of your worst days lie ahead of you. It's really encouraging, right? <laughs> and another one is, uh, he, he says, um, don't make the world worse. Yeah, just... That's a baseline. Another one is, marry someone smarter than you. That's really encouraging. Yep. Uh, he says, another one is, read obituaries. Yeah. It's all borrowed time. And his last one is, don't try to be great. And it's, this is, you, don't, you don't hear that at graduation. Don't try to be great. So whether you go to a graduation commencement and whether you hear platitudes or not platitudes, what, what all these speeches tend to have in common is they're all talking about the future. Future plans. Because when you're young and you're graduating, your future is like, it's right in front of you and you, you have all these huge decisions to make. But it's not like you are young, and then once you knock out all the big decisions about where you're going to work, where you're going to live, who you're going to marry, once you figure out all those, it's not like decision time is over. Because you're going to be busting out decisions the rest of your life. You'd be so shocked that there's still huge decisions to be made. No matter what phase of life you're in, you're still going to have personal decisions to make, family decisions to make work decisions to make. It's like the, the decisions are going to keep going on and on and on. And some of you, you're in the midst of it right now. You're making plans. But what I want to do with you this morning is I want you to see your plans in light of God's overarching plans. What I'm trying to do with you this morning is give you some perspective on your plans in relationship to God's plans. So this is not going to be a sermon, a sermon about decision-making, how to make decisions, how to plan. Not going to be about that. We'll talk about that in the fall when we come back to Proverbs. What I'm, what I'm doing is I'm assuming that you're formulating plans. I'm assuming that you already have plans or there are plans in the works right now. But what I want you to do is see your plans in light of God's sovereign plan. How do the two go together? How do they fit together? How do you plan in light of God's sovereignty? That's where we're going. It's going to be fun. We're going to have fun. I want to get you organized since we've got these Proverbs all over the place. This is where I'm going. Let me just give you three points. If you like three points, here you go. Plans, motives, commitments. Really complicated. That's where we're going. We're going to talk about plans, your motives, and then handing it all back over to the Lord, committing it to him. So that's where we're going. So let's start. You might want to just keep your bulletin open, open right in front of you. Here we go. Proverbs 16.1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Maybe you grew up in a church. 
tradition that says it, uh, it was not very spiritual to make plans. Maybe that was you. You grew up and you were told don't make plans because it's not very trusting in the Lord to make plans. Well, the Bible does not talk like that. The Bible is all for making plans. Let me give you another verse, Proverbs 21.5. It says, the plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance. <laughs> You've been created with a mind. Use it. Make plans, strategize, think through different options, dream big dreams, dream small dreams, but plan, make plans. Don't over-spiritualize your life. It's okay to make for real, legit, concrete plans. But look at the the second part of verse 1, but keep this in mind. But the answer of the tongue... Is from the Lord. So whatever you plan, God's will determines the ultimate outcome. The answer the person gives with the tongue is from the Lord. The idea is that whatever plans the person makes, the ultimate reply that they give, the ultimate result is from the Lord. So if you get a job offer, what are you going to say? Whatever you're going to say has been determined by the Lord. Someone uh, asks you to marry them. What you say, what your answer is going to be, is going to be an answer from the Lord. The Lord is sovereign. He's in control. And he's working out his providential plans. And he's going to make the ultimate decision. And this is going to take some explaining. I can see the expression on your face. So I'm going to have to explain some things to you. When we talk about the will of God, we're talking about... Theologians talk about, scholars talk about this, this two-sided concept of God's will. One is talking about God's moral will, and the other is talking about God's sovereign will. So let me explain to you the distinction. So if we're talking about God's moral will, we're talking about God's revealed will. If you want to know God's will for your life, come see me. I got your answer. It's right here. This is God's will for your life, for sure. It is his revealed will. We glorify him by obeying his revealed will in the Bible. This is how we know what his moral will is for your life. So that's one way theologians talk about God's will. But they also talk about God's sovereign will. And it's also sometimes called God's secret will. And you say, well, why is it called his secret will? It's because you don't know it until it happens in history. I mean, sometimes you can know the future. It's called prophecy, what God reveals to you. But God's sovereign will or his secret will is not known to you until it plays out in history. So on this morning, when we're talking about scriptures, we're not going to talk so much about God's moral will. We're going to talk about God's sovereign will, that God has the final say on your future and your plans. He has the final determination on what is going to happen. Back to the scriptures. Look at verse 9, Proverbs 16, 9 on the back of your bulletin. Look at it. It says, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So here's the idea. We make plans but the Lord determines what happens. So no matter people's plans, they're not going to be carried out unless they fit with the plans of God. 
Look at 1921 on your back of your bulletin. It says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So in the world today, can you imagine the whole world? There are so many plans that people are making in the world right now. Think about all the plans that are rattling around in your head and your heart right now. But there is only going to be one plan that is carried out, and that is going to be the one that God decides to bring to fruition. The outcome will be from the Lord. Every single outcome is from the Lord. If I take some dice and I roll them, what I roll is determined by the Lord. If I take a coin and I flip it, the outcome of that coin toss will be determined by the Lord. And you're like, are you serious? Absolutely. God determines who kicks off at a football game. You say, well, where's that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Look at Proverbs 16, 33. Once again, on the back of your Bible, trying to show you. All the decisions are from the Lord. Verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So here's the idea. In different parts of the Bible, God actually told his people to cast lots, and his decision would be known by the lot. Now, before I explain what this is, some of you are going to think, that sounds like a great idea. Because <laughs> you're trying to make a decision. You don't know how to do it. You're like, bring back the coin toss. I'm all for that. No, we have the Holy Spirit, all right? The Holy Spirit guides us. Once the Holy Spirit poured out on the church, no more casting lots. But this is what it was like for casting lots. This is what would happen. It's kind of like, like the flipping of a coin to determine the decision of God. So here's, here it is. We're not quite sure, but there was rocks, maybe some type of rock, maybe one, maybe multiple, put into like a garment and on the lap, maybe kind of shaking up together, and they're trying to make a decision. And whatever lot comes up, that would be the decision for, from the Lord. So it's like they were trying to divide pieces of the Holy Land. Like, what are the divisions going to be? Okay, let's cast lots. Okay, you get that portion of the Holy Land. And they also did this to determine priestly duties. They shake up the lot, whatever comes up. Okay, this priest, this is going to be your duty, I guess, for this week or this month or for the rest of your life. But do you remember in the New Testament, the casting of lots? Do you remember this? In the book of Acts, they're, they're like, wow, we're missing... We're missing a disciple. Judas, man, he's gone. We need to replace him. What do they do? Cast lots. Because every decision comes from the Lord, including the replacing of a disciple. And so, I mean, I'm trying to show you that every outcome, every decision, no matter what your plans are, every outcome is going to be from the Lord. Are you troubled yet? I know some of you are. I can see it on your faces. Once again, you're troubled. You mean every single thing that is determined, that happens in this world, is determined by God's sovereign will? Absolutely. So you have two questions. I know you do. Two questions. What about evil? Yeah, that one of them. One of them. How about this one? Does that mean that our decisions are not real? What about evil? And does that mean our decisions are not real? Well, let's pause and deal with those two questions. What about evil? If God determines everything, is he responsible for evil? The Bible is very clear. When you start reading your Bible, you will see that God, in his sovereign will, he allows, and you'll see some verses that even say God causes evil, but you'll never see that God is morally responsible or accountable for the evil actions carried out by humans. 
But what God does, he takes the sinful actions of humans and he uses it for his purpose. Once again, back at the bulletin, look at verse 4 of chapter 16. It says, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. There are many examples in the Bible of God allowing evil for his purposes. A popular Old Testament example is Joseph. Remember Joseph? Maybe you don't remember Joseph. Well, Joseph, he was betrayed uh, by his brothers. They treated him uh, terrible. They ended up selling him into slavery, and he ended up in Egypt. And God was working through all of that stuff with Joseph and his family, created him to be a leader in Egypt, and it ended up saving the family, and the nation from a famine. And after it was all done, Joseph is reunited with his brothers. This is what he says in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So the human people, the brothers, are accountable for their evil, which they meant, but God had another plan, the saving of a nation. Another event that God ordained, and yet humans are responsible for it. Did you know that God ordained and caused the most evil event in history? And yet he's not accountable for it. And what is that? It's the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is the way he's explained in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, in chapter 4, 27 and 28, explains it like this. It says, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, that's a human, and Pontius Pilate, a human, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Now check this part out. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So there's a verse you have. Humans and their accountability, they're responsible for their evil, and yet God ordained it, and he planned it, and he's behind it all, working for his great purpose and your salvation. That's how we explain evil under God's sovereignty. Humans are responsible for their wicked actions. God is never held accountable or to blame for the actions of humans. Now, the next question you might ask is, okay, okay, okay. If God ordains everything, he's in control of everything, plans everything, then what about our human, our, our, our decisions? Are they real? Are we robots? Are we, are we just puppets? Are, like, are we real? Can we, are these decisions real? Now, there's many ways to explain this. And the most helpful I've found is through uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. So my best book next to the Bible is Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. It seems to explain everything you could possibly want to know. So here's, here's, here's how this works. Real decisions. He says that rocks, you know what a rock is? A rock is hard because God made the rock with the property of hardness. And he says water is wet because God made water with the property of wetness. And plants are alive because God made plants with the property of life. And then he explains that our decisions are real because God made humans with the property of willing choice. The Bible throughout teaches that our choices are real. They have real effects. You're really accountable. You're really responsible for your choices. You make real choices under the sovereignty of God. So how does that work? 
How can God ordain every decision, every event, every flip of the coin, and at the same time, you make real choices? How can those possibly go together? I have no idea. I don't know. It's a mystery. And yet the Bible clearly teaches both. I, I do not understand it. And, and but I, I want to tell, tell you this. I, I do think I know your, the response, what your response should be. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, let's debate this. No. Let's argue this. No. Your response to, to God's sovereign control over everything should make you humble, hopeful, and relaxed. Now, does that describe you with regard to your future plans? Humble, hopeful, and relaxed. And the reason why you can be humble is because God's God. And if anything's going to occur, he's, he's got to agree to it, and he's got to do it. So that, that should make you humble. And, and I, I think a, an expression of humility would be flexibility. How many of you are flexible with your plans? Not many, huh? Well, if you were flexible, that would be an expression of this humility. But it should also make you hopeful. It should make you hopeful because if you have plans, they, they might actually really happen. Because God's sovereign. He's the one that, that can really pull off your plans. So it should make you hopeful. But it should also make you relaxed. You're not God. You don't have to pull it off. Be diligent. You can plan all you want. But relax. God's sovereign. He's in control. He's the one that's ultimately going to determine what's going to happen. Relax. Let him be God. There is an expression of this humility and this hopefulness and this being relaxed, I think, in the Bible. And it comes from the book of James. Let me put this up for you. This is James chapter 4. Here's this disposition. Look, look what it says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and, and spend a year there and, and trade and make a profit. Does that sound like you? Oh, I'm going to go there and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, okay, listen, church, this is what you should say. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That is the right disposition. That is the, the humble disposition. That's a, that's a hopeful disposition. And most of all, that is a relaxed disposition. If it's God's will, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. It's up to him. So that's plans. So you're making your plans, and yet God is making his plan. But let's talk about your motives in your plans. What's your motive in your plan? What's going on in your heart with your planning? Back to chapter 16 of Proverbs, verse 2. Back at the bulletin again. Look what it says, verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord ways the spirit. All right, so most of us, we have these plans, and for the most part, you think that your plans 
come from good motives. Most of us think we have this pure heart, and it's like the proverb says, our plans are pure in our own eyes. Sometimes we cannot see how our plans could have less than pure motives. Wouldn't you agree? But but the deal is, is that you can trick yourself into thinking that your plans are pure, and you can deceive yourself. And I mean, there's many ways this could look like. But let's just say you want to buy a bigger house. One day, maybe you'll have that desire. You want to buy a bigger house. And I'll come up to you and I'll say, hey, why do you want to buy a bigger house? And then you'll say, well, I want to buy a bigger house because I, I want to host a small group. And then when missionaries come through town, I want to have a place for them to stay. And I want a big backyard so I can feed all the homeless. I mean, maybe, maybe those things are true, but by asking the questions and exposing your motives, I can say to you, really, is that your true motives, or do you just want a bigger house? See, a lot of times our plans can seem pure in our own eyes, but the Lord knows. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, but the Lord, this is verse 2, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. What does that mean? The Lord weighs the Spirit. Some think this is an illusion. It's it's referring to an illusion of an Egyptian belief that after death, when someone dies, the heart is weighed to see if it was righteous. Now, of course, we don't believe that. But it's an allusion to that. And the emphasis seems to be that the Lord knows your true motives. The Lord knows what's going on in your heart as you're planning. And if I get real visual with you, it's almost like this. It's almost like you, you take your hand, if you can do this, stick it into your chest, if you can do that, pull your heart out, hold it up with all of its motives, and hold it in the sight of the Lord. That's what it means. Your motives, your heart, totally exposed to the Lord. And he sees all that's going inside as you're planning, and he sees if your motives are pure or if they are not so pure. Now, I know some of you will say, well, I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know until we're dead. We'll never know what our motives were until we meet the Lord face to face. Not so fast. Because I believe, as we plan now, there are ways that we can actually get at our hearts. There are ways that we can actually get at our motives and to know what's going on inside. And there's three ways. I'm going to be very brief with these. Three ways we can know our motives. One is we can say, Lord, we can pray. Second thing is we can seek his word. And third thing is we can invite others in to examine our motives. So let's do the first one, prayer. Have you ever prayed for God to search your heart, examine your motives in your plans? Here's a good verse for that. Psalm 139 23 and 24. We had this early in the service. Search me, O God, and know my heart. That's good. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Great prayer to to pray for God to examine your motives in your planning. The second way to examine your motives is through the word of God. There's a great verse from that in Hebrews chapter 4, 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active. This is God's word. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And here we go. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So as we're planning, we want to be examining the scriptures, taking our motives and our hearts to the scriptures, and the word of God will expose our hearts and our thoughts and our planning. But there's a third way that we can examine our motives, and that is through our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And there's a proverb for that, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. It says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So check it out. You need counselors. You need other people to protect you from yourself. Because sometimes your motives can be off, and you need someone to tell you, is that really why you're planning that? Because your motives are off. You need other people to tell you that. It's like the Lord has given you three different safeguards to get at your heart and motives. He's given you his, his word, he's given you prayer, and he's given you other people to constantly guard yourself against wrong and off motives in your plan. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if, you, if you're praying and you're planning, God, search my heart. And if you're going to his word and you're planning, God, speak to me through your word. And if you're asking other people to examine your motives, I'm telling you, chances are that you are walking in a very wise path. You're, you're probably making some good plans because your, your motives are exposed. And I, and, and I just praise God that we have these, these three different safeguards, especially for people like me. I mean, you guys don't know me so well, but I, 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 I'm, I, I'm, I'm just kind of just want to share with you here. Thank you for letting me share. I, I'm a dreamer, and I dream up crazy plans all the time. For those of you who know me really well, you know this. I just always thinking of, see, look, everybody has like kind of their work life and then their family life and then their spare time, right? So I have, I'm a pastor of the church. That's my work life. And I got my family life and I, and I got massive amount of spare time. No, I'm just kidding. I have a little bit of spare time and I think, okay, what can I do in my spare time? Because I don't, I don't have hobbies. I, I don't. I know you feel bad for me, but I don't have any hobbies, all right? I don't have any hobbies. That's sad. No hobbies. And, but I, I'm always dreaming stuff, like stuff to do, like crazy stuff. So part, part of it, okay, I'm not going to go into all that. But, but a lot of times what I want to do, like my, my, my latest dream, I'm always dreaming about orphans or orphanages and all that. But when I'm not dreaming about that, I'm thinking stuff about, well, in my spare time, I'd love to partner with some people to start businesses in order to start a business, because I have such a burden when people don't have jobs. I hate when people don't have jobs or can't get jobs, and I, it just kills me, and I want to give them a job. And I say, okay, well, i got to partner and help start a business. So over the past few months, I've been thinking about crazy business ideas. Not that I have any skills, mind you, but I've been thinking about crazy business ideas. And about a week ago, I had an idea. And the idea was I would love to partner with some of you, and, and I would love to go and buy a zoo. What are you laughing for? And you think, where are you going to find a zoo for sale? Craigslist. So I went on Craigslist, and there is a zoo for sale. Yes, there is a zoo for sale on Craigslist, and I would love to get people to work there and get a little camping experience at the zoo. And, but see, you know, I, I say that, say, don't be embarrassed about your dreams, all right? But when you have these dreams, please, run it by other people. (laughs) 
Because you may end up being a zookeeper. I mean, <laughs> you don't want to be a zookeeper. Right? But see, I feel like there's protection in prayer. There's protection in the, the word. And there's protection from other people because your motives can be off. You can be off. And you, there's these safeguards in place for dreamers. Safeguards in place for those of us with our plans. So we have our plans. We have our motives. And the last part is our commitments. Now, I want you to understand the commitments. I do not mean that when you commit, you're resolving to do something. I'm not talking about that. Make your commitment strong. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, when I say commitments, I mean committing something to the Lord. I mean commitments in the sense of handing everything over to the Lord. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about commitments. So look at verse 3 of Proverbs 16. This is, once again, back in your bulletin. It says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So hand it all over. Now this word commit, this is so cool. This word commit actually literally means to roll. To roll. It's like you get this big rock and you're rolling this big rock. This is if you were strong enough. Rolling this big rock. So here's, here's the picture I have. You have your big rock of plans. And you all do. And, and these plans are full of details and your motives. And you're rolling this big rock of plans. And you're rolling it into God's presence. And as you're rolling it into God's presence, well, you're humble. Yeah? You're hopeful. And, and you're relaxed. So you're rolling your plans onto God's presence. And you're constantly checking your motives because you don't know what's going on inside. And you're saying, okay, Lord, search my heart as I roll my plans. And you're searching the word. And you're rolling your plans. And you're asking other people, is this wise? Is this foolish? What's going on? So you're rolling all your plans into God's presence. And then watch what you do. Once you roll them into his presence, watch this. You leave them there. Get your hands off your plans. You leave them there in the presence of God. And then what happens next? Well, look at the rest of the verse, verse 3. And your plans will be established. If God agrees with your plans in his sovereign decree, if he agrees with them, then he will bring them to fruition. He will establish them. Did you understand this language this language of established. It's the same language used in other parts of the Bible when it talks about it's God establishing the heavens and the earth. He's saying that your plans will be established. They will become part of real history. But we have to leave the results to God. Because sometimes you have awesome plans. Sometimes you have the best motives in the world. And sometimes God does not agree with your plans for whatever reason he seems, to, uh, to, he seems fit, and your plans don't happen. And, and when that uh, occurs, you just say, okay, God, I trust you. You must have a, a greater plan in mind. But your job is to roll all these plans and leave them there and leave the outcome with God. And I know a lot of things that happen in life, you don't understand. A lot of your plans, you can't figure out. But who can? We're all in this together. Look at the very last verse. It's a good way to end. Proverbs twenty twenty four. Look at the way it concludes. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man 
understand his way. The prophet Jeremiah said a very similar thing in Jeremiah 10, 23. He says, I know, O Lord, that the way of a man is not in himself, that is not in man who walks to direct his steps. You don't know all the factors involved in your future. You don't know everything that happens. You don't know God's absolute and sovereign will. You're just called to trust him and to obey his words, put the plans there and leave them there. And and you know what? You're not going to know his secret will until you do this. You look back and you go, oh, so that was the plan. And he takes all your foolishness and he kind of works it all together for his good, for for your good, for his glory. But you're not going to know what's ahead of you. That's where you trust. But we can look back and say, God, you're sovereign and you had far better plans than I did. We're talking about preaching Christ and Proverbs. And I want to close with my favorite verse in the Bible. And it actually is on this subject. And it comes from the book of Ephesians. And I've memorized it in the NIV, so I want to share the NIV translation. It says this. In him, we were also chosen, having having been predestined according to the plan. The plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. It was God's plan to save you in Christ. It was God's plan to send his son, Jesus Christ. If you repent, put your faith in Jesus, he is going to save you, forgive you, reconcile you with God. That's God's plan. Do you rejoice as a Christian in God's plan? Absolutely. But look what the rest of the verse says. It says, our good God also works out everything. That means every single thing that happens. Works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So the same God that planned your salvation, that planned to save you and reconcile you to the Father, the same God who did that, he's the same God that ordains every single detail of your life. Everything. And he knows what's going on. He knows maybe some of the sufferings that you're experiencing right now. He's, He's not left you. It's not like your world is spinning out of control and God has no idea what's going on. He is with you. He is with you in your planning. He's with you in your praying. He's with you. And so our response to people who have been brought into the plan of God, who have been brought into his plan, is simple. We are simply people who plan. And as we plan, we do it as those who are humble, hopeful, and relaxed in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your your overall grand plan of bringing us to Christ and saving us, and we rejoice in that. We thank you that you're in control in all the details of our life, and We never want to blame you for our lot. We never want to blame you and say that we do not like what our life has become and it's all your fault. It is not your fault. You've been working. You've been in control. Humans have sinned and hurt us. We've hurt ourselves, and yet you are still in control. You've not stepped off the throne And we do not know the future, 
but you absolutely do know the future. So help us, God, to be humble, to plan as humble people. Help us to be hopeful. And Lord, please help us to to trust you to such an extent that we can start to relax and quit trying to control everything and fix everything. Help us to relax in your sovereign care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.